Hey there. Welcome to The Green Room, a podcast where we look at news and culture through a two-lane lens. I'm Ryan Rivette, and I'll be your host today for a special election-themed episode. As we prepare to cast our ballots in November, we'll ask some of our faculty experts to weigh in about the hows and whys of presidential elections. Today, we're talking about the Electoral College. Most people know that the Electoral College exists, but what exactly is it, and how did it come to be? For answers to these questions, I went to Celeste Lay, an associate professor in the political science department. The Electoral College was, like most things in the Constitution, a compromise. The framers came together and argued about pretty much everything. First of all, they debated about a single executive or multiple executives and, and came to the decision to have a single executive with a vice president. And then they had to figure out how that person would be elected. Of course, the easiest thing to do is just to have a popular vote to have everybody in the country vote, and the person that wins the most votes becomes the president. The framers were a little wary about that. There were some logistical reasons in terms of transportation difficulty and information difficulty, not being able to get information out to people. It just went along basically with a general concern that the framers had about direct democracy. And so there were a number of things put in place in the Constitution that limit the power of the majority to essentially tyrannize the minority. And this was one of those things. So that's the broad strokes of why the Electoral College exists, but let's drill down a little further. What about those 538 votes? Where does that number come from? How does it work? And who are these people? There is an elector for every representative in the U.S. Congress. So each state has at least one member in the House and two senators. That gives us uh, the 435 in the House and the 100 in the Senate, and then the District of Columbia also gets three electoral votes. So that's where the electoral votes come from. A, a candidate has to win a majority, so they have to get at least 270 electoral votes in order to win. If we were to increase the size of the House or change that in some way, then we would increase that size. But, but that's generally the way that it, that it works. States have different ways of selecting the electors. They tend to be elites within the party, people who are well-connected politically, basically. Got it. These well-connected people are really casting the votes for the president. If you think that sounds like the Founding Fathers didn't completely trust we the people, Lay says you might be right. There's a lot of elitism in the Constitution, and that's one of the things. You know, what I tell my students is it was different in that sense, that we didn't have the massive system of public education. Literacy rates were low outside of the aristocracy. So it was reasonable to assume that people could be misled, manipulated. They were particularly fearful of regional candidates, that a southern candidate or a northeastern or New England candidate, that people would essentially just vote for the person from their state or from their region, that a president would not be elected that could represent the entire country. But these electors are bound to vote the way the popular vote goes in their state, right? Well, that depends. Some states have laws that require the electors to vote according to the popular vote of the state. I think it's about half, and the other half don't have any regulation. So we have had maybe about a dozen faithless electors in our history of people who went to vote in the Electoral College and 
cast a ballot for somebody that did not win the popular vote within their state. I think if, if we were going to have a, a, a year with a, a faithless elector or two, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it for either of the candidates. Clinton has some problems in terms of popularity. Trump has some problems in terms of popularity within their own parties. So I could see that happening. Again, it's probably not going to matter in the sense of, of turning the election one way or the other. Whether or not it turns the election, the fact that it's still possible that your vote may not count seems to go against the idea of democracy. But regardless of what you think about the Electoral College, Lay says it's most likely here to stay. Well, every time there is any sort of controversy, there is a discussion about abolishing the Electoral College or reforming the Electoral College. I don't see it going anywhere. It would require an amendment to the Constitution to change it, and amending the Constitution is incredibly difficult. Um, it requires supermajorities in Congress and in the states. Another common complaint that you hear about the Electoral College is that it makes some states matter more than others. Candidates can bank on states that always end up red or blue, but the swing states are the real prize in a presidential election. There is no perfect system where everybody's vote matters equally. Um, so. It's certainly true that the people in swing states are getting a lot more attention, a lot more money is being spent in those areas on ads and events. Um, you know, the debates are all taking place in potentially swing states. Um, so there, that's undoubtedly true. But if we remove the Electoral College and voted by popular vote, then we would remove swing states, but we might have swing cities or swing regions and that th there would still be places that would be ignored and others that would be highlighted. And so it's just what kind of bias is more preferable rather than this sort of ideal perfect system where everybody's vote sort of counts the same. The popular vote has the appeal of being very simple to understand, right? You just go and vote and the person that, that has the most votes wins. The reason that that I'm sort of reluctant about that kind of system is, like I said, it would just sort of transfer the bias, mm -hmm. but also we have a history of states making a difference, of mattering. Uh, and, you know, we have a federal system where power is shared between the federal government and the states. We have a bicameral legislature that where state lines and state boundaries are very important. We have sort of in many states kind of a culture of you know being proud of being Louisianan or Texan or you know that kind of thing and so states are sort of important in the certainly the psyche of Americans but also just in our structures and our history and so removing that I think would certainly change the dynamics of the of the elections and not necessarily in a better way just a different way. By far the biggest knock on the Electoral College is that it's possible for a candidate to win the popular vote but lose the election. It's happened a handful of times, 1824, 1876, 1888, and of course in 2000. Lay says that those situations offer teaching moments for the nation. People pay closer attention to the way the government works. There's a lot to learn from those crazy elections like 2000. Um, just what the Electoral College is, because not everybody knows when they go out to cast their ballot that they're not actually casting a ballot for a candidate. So understanding what the Electoral College is, figuring out and, and learning about different 
ballot systems. So, you know, the fact that there's so much variation that you're pressing a button in some states and drawing a line in other states and poking a hole through a piece of paper in other states. And, and you only learn about that stuff through these sort of crazy elections where there's crazy stuff going on. So um, in that sense, the crazier it is, the more we learn about our system and the more we test our system as well. And so far, each one of the tests with the Electoral College historically has, um, has resulted in a crisis for a tiny bit of time, but then ultimately the, the person that ends up losing concedes and we think, okay, well, we'll get them in four years. And there's been, you know, there hasn't been riots or a coup or anything like that that we sometimes see in other places. So the tests of our system have, have been pretty successful so far. Well, there you have it, a short course on the Electoral College. Many thanks to Professor Lay for breaking it down for us, and that's our show. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us next time in the Green Room.